Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. As we head into December, the holiday season is fully upon us. For those of us in America, this is also a season chock full of sports. Whether it's the winding down of the college football season, the home stretch of the NFL, or the ramping up of college basketball, the NBA, and the NHL, it isn't hard to find a game on TV. And this year we have the added fervor of an early FIFA World Cup. So I thought this would be a good time to revisit an episode from the archives. Quit being so Gnostic and care about sports. We'll get to drop in and hear from Cersei's staff, Blast from the Past, and some of my favorite people, Brian Phillips, Chuck Hicks, and David Kern. But first, I'd like to take a minute to remind you that we are in the midst of our year-end fundraising campaign. Your support enabled us to grow the Cersei team last year. With your continued help, we are excited about what next year holds. In particular, donor support helps us provide free resources like this and other podcasts and the former journal. Please visit searcyinstitute.org backslash donate to see more about all you make possible and to support us this year. Now let's get to Brian, Chuck, and David. How are you, gentlemen? Enjoying the silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, um, it's quiet in the office today, so we actually moved all of our recording equipment out of our recording what do we want to call it? It's a closet. Closet. Uh, Studio sounds better. Yeah, record our uh, our um, pod six, six by eight recording closet um, into our our cavernous <laughs> li- library area with the couches and the comfortable chairs. So you have you have heard from Chuck Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, in this um, edition of the podcast, we thought we would talk about something um relevant to the times <laughs> because you know the stuff we normally talk about as isn't opposed, relevant yes, to the times, as opposed to the rest of our topics right exactly <laughs> no um so currently the <clears throat> nhl finals uh, are in full swing they started last night and tonight the nba finals start the nhl is hockey for you fellow southerners right right the national hockey league uh, yeah i thought i thought what you were getting ready to say nhra and i was <laughs> thinking wait a minute there's hot rod finals <laughs> that start, never mind for those of you that don't know what the nhra is google it <laughs> so that means that if you're anything like us sports ha- are on the brain not that they aren't always but um Brian, I know you are an NBA fan for the most part. I know you like college sports as well, but mm-hmm. you know you, you'll watch the finals. Chuck, I don't know how much you watch sports. I know you played it, as, as did you, Brian. You, yeah. um, you play golf and all that in high school. You ran cross country, right? Yeah, um, soccer, yeah. basketball. Yeah. yeah. And Chuck, what did you play? I played uh, football uh, a couple of years here at Concord High and also ran cross country, and then I played you know, a lot of different individual sports since right. that time. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and you, you did too, right, David? Yep, I played a couple of different sports in high school, and um, I definitely enjoy watching sports. Um, being from Wisconsin, if you're not a Packers fan, then you are um, disowned and not from kicked Wisconsin. out of the family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you are not from Wisconsin. Unless right. you're from Kenosha. I think they have a lot of Bears fans in Kenosha. Ooh. Well, I mean... Those people aren't Wisconsinites. They're just they're, oh wow. They're the they're the apologies out. to our Kenosha listeners. Wow. 
It wasn't you what just it, excommunicated an entire town. <laughs> well, everybody else in Wisconsin is perfectly okay with it. No, no, no. I didn't say Kenosha is excommunicated. I just said that the Bears fans who live in Kenosha are excommunicated. Oh, and yeah. everybody else in Wisconsin is okay with that. Okay, fair enough. I mean, but but what I was meaning to say is that um, in a place like Green Bay, the, the sports, the Packers, are such a fabric of the town, um, such a such a part of it. Um, economically, socially, historically, all that. Um, that that growing up there, you can't help but be um, have that kind of built into your life. And I think that's the interesting thing about sports, in a way that you know other kinds of media um, aren't. It's not necessarily the same. You know, you see the way and throughout the world, fandom is such a um, kind of such a kind of important part of um of a fan's life you know you identify yourselves we are you know we identify identify ourselves as fans of a team right we call ourselves we call them we when you listen to i have a hang up well we'll get to that in a second when you're when you're a fan of u2 or the rolling stones or whoever if it's a band you don't call you don't say we right um you don't say we if you're a fan of Leonardo DiCaprio or Humphrey Bogart movies, right? Um, or if you're watching Mad Men or The Simpsons. Did you just put Humphrey Bogart and DiCaprio in the same sentence? That was a very... I did. I did. Well, okay. And I believe they should be. Um, That's another podcast, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. So, now you say you have a problem with that, and I think a lot of people do, but the point still stands. There's something about sports that leads people to do that Oh yeah. in a way that other... Yeah. Areas of entertainment do not. Right. Um, part of it, it might have to just do with might have to do with the idea of um, is could be an, an alma mater, right? Like you could go to the University of Georgia or the University of North Carolina or right. NC State, and so you then refer to them as we. But if you, it doesn't even matter. Like you know, if you have never gone to a college or you're a fan of a pro team around here, people refer to the Carolina Panthers as we. Right. There's something it, about sports that is meaningful in a way that. That other media and entertainment. It's, are not. it's true here in North Carolina. The far I hate to admit this, but far and away the most popular collegiate sports team here in this state is the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. It's a school that everybody dreams about going to, but it's a very hard school to get into. And when I hear people up and down the street saying we did this and we did that. And they didn't go to Chapel Hill. <laughs> I take umbrage to that. Well, at the same time, though, th- there's something about being a fan base. And this isn't really what the podcast was going to be about, actually. Yeah, I, but, I think. but it's ta- it's about what we wanted to talk about is well, it's the about the, of the power of sports. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, let's let me start with this question then. Well, go ahead. Say what you were. Gonna yeah, say. I was just going to say a word adding to to what Chuck said. I, I think that there's. There's a kind of strange phenomenon. It's it's not just with college sports, although the the specific thing that you're talking about is can be quite humorous sometimes right. with people referring to a college team as we and they didn't right. go there. That seems kind of silly. But even in professional sports, um, I don't know if it's the whole team, the idea of team carrying over into the fan base as well. Yeah, to where you identify so closely with a team. Because, um, you know, growing up in this area, Chuck is an NC State guy. Um, I'm a Duke fan. Poor guy. Yeah, so 
both Chuck and I, we we have this in common that we're fans of the team that is not the uh, state not the favorites. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. the Tar Heels. Um, the flagship. And, and I think that there's even, perhaps there's even something in that. When Duke and Carolina play basketball, it's the biggest rivalry in college basketball. I don't True. think there's too much dispute about that. But um, when Duke wins, I say, you know, we won. Um, and because there's something about being a right. real fan of a team that you're invested you're invested so much in it where when they win, you almost feel like you won for some reason. And sure. It, when you yeah. look at it, kind of separating yourself from it, it does seem ridiculous, but I think it is. it does speak to what the podcast is more about, um, and that is just the, the power of sports and how it, how it affects you when you're involved in whatever way. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we were going to talk about in this podcast is what role sports should play in the life of a student. Um, <clears throat> so I think, where should we begin? Well, let's, let's begin in uh, colonial Virginia. Uh, let's begin with well, the train. Well, of course. Yeah. Well, why not begin with the Greeks? Then? <laughs> well, well, because this is predominantly an American audience. I think that we're speaking to, uh, as opposed to no offense to our foreign Greeks. listeners, but <laughs> no offense to our ancient Greek listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I say that is because, <clears throat> pardon me, Colonial Virginia and, and Virginia after the formation of the United States as a separate country, was uh, deeply informed by classical education, by the classics. Mm -hmm. It was part of the training and refinement of gentlemen. And we'll leave, us, we'll leave aside some of, the, uh, some of the difficulties associated with that part of the country at that time. But gentlemen read not only the classics, the Greek and Roman classics, but they are also expected to learn and excel at the martial arts. They were expected to be horsemen. Uh, there was something to the rigors of physical activity and sport that were supposed to uh, develop the character of a gentleman. So I think it begins as early as right. that in our country's history. And by, and by martial arts, you mean... Not karate, right? <laughs> I mean, sword play, right? So yeah. then, so then it would seem that there is something, and okay. shooting, by the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Olympic sports. <laughs> so there was something; uh, it would seem of inherent value in sports, or yes. they believed it was of inherent value. What What do you guys think that is? I mean, what is it that is inherently valuable about sports that helps develop the whole person, that makes us more human, so to speak? Well, I think I think you sort of answered it in the phrasing of your question is that it is developing the whole person. Um, I think one of the reasons why we wanted to tackle this question in the first place is that there seems to be the tendency to fall into, and I, I use this illustration a lot in my own uh, teaching in various capacities, but um, I think of it like a road with two ditches, um, and we tend to spend most of our time in one of the ditches. Um, we go to one extreme or the other. Um, on one side, you have those who 
act as if um, we're basically just uh, a, a brain, um, if I could put it that way, um, and that classical education is only about the mind, um, which is a, a very dangerous idea. Um, and then there are others in you know of a different opinion, usually teenage boys, who think that <laughs> that sports is uh, the the end all. Um, but I think that that sports, while we have to avoid any kind of extreme, um, sports should be a natural part or physical. Right. Uh, if we could use it in a, a, maybe a better sense than it's meant now, I'm not talking about gym class, but physical education. Um, it really. Um, should not be undersold or underestimated because it is a part of forming the whole person. So if not gym class, how should it look? Or rather, how should gym class be improved based on the traditional sense that we understand it? Well, I don't think gym class should be driven by a presidential fitness award. Um, I think that uh, probably more of what Chuck was referencing is... um, is a good idea of forming the person. Um, so, because the things that Chuck was describing were things that are that uh, that incorporate um, the mind, the body, the learning of a skill. Um, so, when when you get into things like um, the martial arts, you know, and I guess really you could include. Uh, Karate, jujitsu, sure. things like that, yeah. but um, but I think that um, sports uh, in general and uh, physical training, when it comes to those disciplines, is is a good thing. I, I don't have in mind um, necessarily, you know, lining up and doing jumping jacks like we, you right. kind of envision in a gym class. <clears throat> yeah, the martial arts uh, develop one's mastery over one's own physical being, the equestrian sports, a, a degree of, of healthy mastery over uh, animals, in this case horses, orienteering, uh, which is, is a strenuous physical activity, but it requires one to read a map and locate points and use analytical skills. Uh, these These were the things that shaped the individuals that were expected to become leaders uh, in their society at that time. And um, I think a lot of those elements are found in some of the team sports that we have today. But and I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's hard to it's hard to say we when we're talking about somebody jumping fences on a horse. It's a little bit of a different activity. I, I think that our culture is very much driven by team sports. Mm-hmm. And we I guess we should try to explore that a little bit. Why do we think why do you think it's so driven by team sports? I it's true because you know tennis, golf, those sports other than Tiger Woods, I mean obviously pushing the needle. No. But tennis has drifted out of the public um <clears throat> perspective a little bit compared to the Continued growth of basketball, football, baseball, things like that. Well, you know, baseball maybe not growing, but yeah, it's always hard to gauge that because in, anyone who's interested in a sport always sees the growth that is taking place in it. Like, um, for example, um, both of my sons love golf. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and 
they have, between the two of them, have worn out a set of clubs that that we put together for them. Um, but I think that, back to your question about team sports, um, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I, I think that. I think that part of it is that um, there's a, a perhaps a desire to to belong, to be a part of a team. That there's um, that there is something to be said for um, the kind of cooperative effort and discipline that it takes to function as a team. Um, I think uh, it's interesting that. And, and I don't have any idea. I don't know where I'm going with this either. <laughs> but uh, that in a in a culture that stresses the individual to an absurd length, to an absurd degree, um, that team sports are still kind of the dominant. I'd like to just take a second and talk about the origins of, of team sports because I think, <clears throat> pardon me, again, here in North America, a lot of the team sports that were played early on by the European settlers, they learned from the Native Americans. Um, I uh, happened to be distantly Cherokee on my mother's side, so we've done a lot of reading and study about 18th century Cherokee culture. And the game that we now know as lacrosse was basically developed from uh, Native American game very similar with very similar goals and rules and in Cherokee culture <clears throat> the ball game was used that's what they called it the ball game was used to settle disputes between villages this was seen as a peaceful way to resolve an issue as opposed to forming war parties huh. where people actually got killed little did they know <clears throat> right and and I just I put that in juxtaposition to you know some of the English virtues and values that that came across the Atlantic. Again, we, we talk about how individualized our culture is today, and certainly it is. And there was a greater sense of community then, but there was a refinement about the individual man back then to form into a gentleman. That's it's kind of interesting. We don't have that so much today, but. Um, a lot of the team sports we have now, like baseball, lacrosse, and even football to varying degrees, the American version of football, uh, derives from that interaction with those, with those native cultures. And it made its way back across the pond because by the time we get to the 19th century, you know, one of my personal heroes was John Charles Ryle, J.C. Ryle, who was Bishop of Liverpool, in England, he studied at Oxford. He had a degree in humane letters and was very well acquainted with the classics. But he was also a first-rate cricket player and rower. At that time, Oxford and Cambridge were mm-hmm. having their their uh, Titanic uh, rivalry in the in the rivers, rowing, and he was he was a star athlete in those endeavors. And somebody help me out here. What battle was won on the playing fields of Eton? I forgot. Because Ryle went to Eton before he went to Oxford. Famous battle in history. It's a saying. It wasn't Waterloo. I I know our listeners are screaming at their 
headsets right well, now. Well, keep talking. I, I will write, uh, write it in the comments. But the, I think the <laughs> point being is that the, one of the virtues of sports is it teaches how to work together to achieve ends. And I, you know, I don't want to hmm. stress too much the militaristic side of right. it, but yeah. there is that. Waterloo. It was Waterloo. Yeah. Okay. Well, shame on me for, for not being yeah. bolder with That's what that. you get for second-guessing yourself. Oh, and on a podcast. Yeah. But anyway, that, just, I, that's all I'm good for is telling you know obscure stories like that of how things kind of went back and forth across the ocean. And of course you have soccer, yes, which is a European game. Well, um, that's a global game, right? Well, yeah. Who? Where did soccer derive from originally, though? Because I know the Scots. I thought it was global because the English, as their empire expanded, brought it to South America yeah. and Africa. And I don't know where it originated. I mean, lacrosse originated with Native Americans. Right. Um, as some did of, baseball, actually. Right. Some of the hobbits created golf. Right. Um, I think it was the Tooks, wasn't it? Invented golf. <laughs> um, which, interestingly, was connected with a battle. Um, for those of you who are conversant with the hobbit, you'll know what I mean. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I, I think one of the things in this discussion that, that I think we need to hit on is this idea of uh, that that Chuck has already brought up that that this physical training was seen as a part of training a gentleman. Um, in other words, if if a man was going to be the kind of man he ought to be, yeah, then he didn't. He needed both. He needed intellectual, spiritual, and physical training. And I liked what you said early on about the ditches because as you were as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know. Gnosticism takes many forms, and mm-hmm. it can take that form in academia as well, where yeah. it's all yeah. the focus is on the mind and not the body. Well, and in modern schools, I'm just going to speak in a big blanket generalized statement here, but everyone knows that the modern school is divided up into cliques of people. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the image that we have, and there's some truth in it. You know, and you always have the jocks. And you have the nerds, you know, neither of which is in term of endearment, of course. But, um, well, but you have those that are devoted to their studies and then those who are devoted to sports. And they're seen as two completely different worlds. And, and it, Well, and even within those, you have not only are they divided into cliques or groups of people, but the, they're, those groups of people are identified or aligned with a specific class or a specific subject often, whether it's... Um, Science or math or mm-hmm. the theater or whatever. Yeah. So it's like even in the way we identify ourselves or we identify other people, even there, it's like this this emphasis on specialization and yes. and not you know it's, it's never about the whole person. It's never about certainly never about the liberal arts. Right, right. And our schools no. only feed that. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, I, I was going to point out something in light of in light of this this. Um, specialization and division uh, that we see of students and groups of students in schools and and sort of bring that back into the discussion that uh, a lot of our listeners might be, um, that might apply to more of our listeners, and that is um, within the context of homeschooling or, or a classical school, 
um, I guess we're asking what the role is mm-hmm. of of either sports or physical education. Um, one one book that has become the um, all the rage around here uh, around Cersei lately is uh, the liberal arts tradition by uh, Kevin Clark and Robbie Jane, um, a book that I've I've read through. Uh, when I first got it, and I'm reading through again uh, for the purpose of reviewing it. But one one chapter that they have is uh, addresses gymnastic and music, and the one point that they make very strongly is that, um, and and it's very and it's obvious. But um, one point that they make is that the training of the body and so gymnastic education is. Um, a part of liberal arts education. It's not. It's not an add-on. It's not an addendum. Um, it it is a a vital part of it. Um, and something uh, there's there's one particular quote that I found interesting um, in this book. It's it's a quote from Plato's Republic, but um, I think within the context of this chapter, it's particularly important. Um, but Plato says the united influence of music and gymnastics or gymnastic will bring the reason and passions, um, that is, uh, will bring the reason and passions into accord, nerving and sustaining the reason with noble words and lessons and moderating and soothing and civilizing the wildness of passion by harmony and rhythm. Um, so th- the point is that things, uh, and the reason I bring this up is that I think that we tend to see whether it's, Fine arts, or for purposes of our discussion, gymnastic, physical kinds of education, we see them as add-ons, as things that, um, you know, might be important. But we're a classical school, so you know, it's it's typically not seen as that big a deal. But that I think belies a, a very big misunderstanding of what the liberal arts are and what a liberal arts education is, what, or in other words, what a classical education is. Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of discussion and debate and disagreement among, especially among um, homeschoolers hmm. that argue that, you know, to put, to have my son play on a baseball team or to put the amount of time into it that sports, to do sports well demands is a waste of time. Hmm. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, either of you, because it does. I mean, if I'm, you know, when I played football in high school or I played basketball, um, or when I played soccer, even when I was young, you know, fo- fo- football for me was from July through November, and it was a six day a week, five day a week thing, you know, at least. And then that doesn't count recovering and the rest of the time you spend thinking about it and mm-hmm. mentally gearing up to play sports. Um, and I, and I, learned an awful lot, had an amazing time, grew up a lot through it. But I can also see the argument that someone might make that that's too much time um, for a a boy 14 to 18 years old to be, you know, if you count all the hours I spent in those four years and I've since done some coaching and things like that, it's it's a lot of time. What would you say to that to that person, especially in the, the homeschooler who has those concerns? I would say that if they're concerned about the formation of their son or daughter spiritually, 
morally, physically, intellectually. And, and well, let me just state it more the with uh, the way that I'm getting at it. If they're concerned about the formation of their child's soul, then they can't see the physical activities or sports as being an add-on. They can't see it as a drain on time. They have to see it the same way that they would see their child spending time learning about great music, learning about, um, you know, learning the piano, learning the violin. Um, these are things that are, um, they're not um, extracurricular. Hmm. This is, I mean, that, that I think is the worst tag that we could put on. And that's another thing that, um, that, um, Clark and and Jane deal with in their book is that you can't see it as extracurricular. This is a part of what their education is. And I think having said that, I'd like to address this from what the emphasis is in sports, because I think that everything has gone askew Mm -hmm. of late with sports, and I'll give you an illustration. <clears throat> one of our sons wanted to play baseball with one of the local homeschool associations. He was an average player in the uh, city-sponsored youth league, but he was ready to play. F- he wanted to be f- with an actual school team, you know, mm-hmm. that is being the, the homeschool group. As it turns out, this association was recruiting top-notch baseball players from out of the county to play on this team so that they could compete with and beat badly some of the local public school baseball teams. And what that meant was there was no place on that team for my son because the emphasis was on getting ringers, you know, getting the best players you could possibly find in order to win, and not only win, but win going away, win impressively. Now, I don't want to sound like one of those parents we all know about who believes in a participation certificate and don't keep score and blah, blah, blah. Everyone gets a trophy. <clears throat> Everyone gets a trophy. You know, if your team is bad and then you go out there and you lose badly every week, so be it. But that's not ultimately the point, I think, of what sports is about. It's about learning lessons and integrating mind, body, and spirit and activity. Those things, you know, when I was in high school, my football team, both years I played, we had losing records. But I don't look back on that time like, well, that was a failure. That was a Catastrophe. Yeah, it wasn't a waste of time. It was a it, it was a very enriching time, and so I just wanted to throw that in there. That I think a lot of homeschool parents may find themselves in that predicament where wanting to play and wanting to reap the benefits of the physical activity can be challenged by this obsession mm-hmm. about being good enough to win and win against the public school teams and so on. Yeah. So, well, what's at what point does winning is the breaking point? Like to where winning I mean, I mean the goal of the sport, right? right. When you lace them up at the beginning of the game, the purpose is the point is to win, right? So, I remember Dean Smith to bring this back to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and and and, and Brian's well, even, favorite even team. Even as even as a Duke fan, I can appreciate Dean Smith. Dean I mean, Smith 
famously said that he would rather his team play well and lose than to play horribly and win. Huh. And I think I think that's golden. Right, and I think that that's a very good statement, and it connects exactly with what you were asking, David, and that is that um, there there is a certain point where winning does matter. I mean, you don't go out to lose. Right. Um, but there's so much to be learned even in a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I would add that one of the things that you want to learn in losing is how not to do it again. Um, yeah, I was going to say, there's a difference between learning <laughs> from what happens in a loss right. and not caring whether you win. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's sort of another two ditches kind of situation where you have these parents who are absolutely obsessed with winning to where they're, uh, they're very obviously living vicariously through their, through their student. And, and a lot of the athletes, students take on that attitude as well. But um, then there's the other side of it that in losing – Say, well, winning is not all that matters. You know, having a good time and feeling good about yourself when you lost, you know, you lost your basketball game by 55 points. That's okay. Let's, you know, there there are more things right. to learn than that. And, and one is how do you get better at something? Right. How do you improve? How do you learn? The discipline uh, of, exactly. of progress. Right. Working hard. Now, there are a couple of uh, kind of caveats or qualifications I'd like to add to something I said earlier, and one is that you had mentioned about you playing football, and it was like six months or something like that that, well, I mean, that it, it took five, six months. Six um, months to play eight games or ten w- games or whatever. Right. And I think that uh, there are a couple of things we need to consider. One is that um, we do live in a culture that so emphasizes team sports and, and organized team sports um, – in a very kind of business-like fashion. Hmm. Um, and so I think that it, as uh, I'm wanting to make the point that the physical development of our children should not be seen as extracurricular. It is not optional, right? That's, that would be, that's the argument I'm wanting to make. But I would also want to add that that doesn't mean we have to do it in the way that our culture currently does it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that if your child is going to be a fully, uh, you know, fully developed, um, disciplined person, that doesn't mean that they have to be playing sports that take 10 months out of the year right. uh, and tie them up, you know, two, three times a week. Yeah. There's a different kind, different kids will have be able to right. different approaches will work for different kids. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, that might be fine for some people, but, um, you know, my wife and I have four children. There are a lot of people I know who have uh, fewer and are busier, you know, or, or have more kids. So the idea of having all of your kids in a sport that takes eight, you know, six months, eight months, um, that's pretty big. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to hint that that's not a big consideration. I think that the time constraint is a big consideration with our kids, for example, um, I like to run even still I was a cross country runner in, in um, junior high and high school um, and our our two oldest run with me sometimes mm-hmm. you know not nearly as far of course but um, but I, I take them running and they sign up for races so I'll sign up for a 5k race on a Saturday and they'll I, and I always try to find one that has a kids run with them um, and I'll run it with them and that's something they really enjoy doing um, 
we take them swimming a lot. We're, um, uh, I take particularly, uh, particularly my son Ian loves playing golf. So he, he goes to do that a lot. Uh, my son Asher loves playing golf. So there, there are different things that you can do. It doesn't necessarily have to be on a team, an organized kind of sport that takes months and months. Um, but I, but I do want to say that I don't think that we should see the kids getting outside, playing sports, learning sports, practicing and all that. I don't think we should see that as being extra to what we're doing in their education. In other words, that it, to, to truly educate in a classical fashion, we need to be emphasizing that part of their lives. Right. We, we definitely can't downplay it. We definitely or can't, ignore it. Right. We can't ignore it. We can't downplay it. We can't treat it as an add-on. Um, and and I think that that's a big tendency that classical schools have and, and maybe even some homeschooling parents too. That that's a big temptation that when you look at the schedule and you look at, you know, what should I prioritize and so on, um, we, we, I think, too quickly drop. Um, sports and and the physical gymnastic training of of our students, um, and I I think that's the dangerous thing. Well, you know, there's this, and there's a sense where even as as a Christian subculture or Christian culture, if you will, there's the sense of the disconnect between the the soul and the body, mm-hmm. and how we you mean Gnosticism. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, and uh, that that can even translate to we become Gnostics in the way we teach mm-hmm. often. Yeah, we do, we do, well, and that's that's not that's even that's true beyond sports. Well, and uh, that's a different. Well, that's a perfect. A I'm so glad you said that because that is such a a very clear example of of our kind of practical Gnosticism. You know, we we probably wouldn't articulate it as part of our philosophy. Um, no one, you know, we would very, deny it. In fact, r- right, very few people want to come out and say, "Yeah, I'm a heretic." Um, but it is. I mean, whenever you organize a classroom to where, or you organize a school day to where the kids are there for six, eight hours at a time, and they spend ninety percent of their time sitting down, listening, you know, and writing. Um, and then they have, so you got six or eight hours doing that, and then you've got 20 minutes outside. You tell me. I mean, what, the thing that strikes what are we me, prioritizing here? The thing that what strikes me is that you talk about listening and writing and all the things that they're doing during that time are important. But mm-hmm. you can you can emphasize them to the point where you harmfully de-emphasize other things that you should be. And right. so we've chosen to emphasize certain things which are good, but in emphasizing them to the extent that we have, we have harmed our students because we haven't emphasized right. other things. We only have so much time, and so you can only emphasize so many, so many right. things. Um, I guess what I'm saying, just and this will be my really outlandish um, somewhat offensive statement for this podcast. We should have added the caveat after you said it. Um, well, maybe, maybe, but just so everyone's sitting down, you know, which is what we're encouraging you not to do. Um, but basically what I'm getting at is that the typical pattern 
of a school day is detrimental to a child. I agree. I totally agree with that. So what are some solutions? I mean, do we just do we do we start taking out making our classes shorter and spending more time outside and playing having them play run or play sports or you know, you've got a homeschooler, you both are homeschoolers, you've taught extensively high schoolers and middle schoolers in a school. So what are yes. some solutions people can can do in both of those situations? Well, um, I would say that we could start by remembering that our students are human beings. Um, and that means that they're more than just a brain that needs to be um, filled up. Um, so I, I think that um, getting your students outside, um, whether in a homeschooling environment or in a school, um, they ought to be, they can be doing something. You know, um, for example, my daughter, um, she's seven now, and uh, she was outside. Um, my wife was teaching teaching her this I think it was yesterday actually um, and so my daughter started w- watching these birds as she was um, outside writing and um, she started asking questions about the birds and um, you know how do you how how could you get a bird to come up to you I actually told told her about some of your methods Chuck yeah. um, Chuck is a bit of a, a birder around here I think <laughs> He's um, a birdie yes um, and so um, we started kind of uh, uh, giving her some ideas. And, and so she went in the house and got some books that she has on birds, brought them back out, was trying to figure out what kinds of birds she was looking at and was reading on how do you take care of birds and uh, all of this sort of stuff. So she's doing all this, uh, running back and forth, looking, comparing. So, I mean, she's still doing just as much work. It's just that she's actually exactly. learning more. Um, you know, now we could have sent her up into the schoolroom at her little table and, and said, well, here, look at your bird books uh, and write down the things that you're learning. You know, um, we could have done that, but, um, you know, we, but it was better for her to actually be outside learning. Um, and, and I think far more of that's going to remain with her. But I, I say that just as an example of what I'm talking about, that I think that, um, we need to, I would say one start would be for headmasters and teachers uh, or homeschool parents, take a look at what your average day consists of. How much time are your students up and about moving? How much time are they outside? Uh, and by the way, going, you know, uh, going to their locker between classes is, doesn't, count. doesn't count. You know, <laughs> that doesn't count. Um, and then ask yourself, what, what am I saying in this, I'm going to use a term that this is kind of a buzzword, and, and it's such an unfortunate buzzword because the word is so important. But what does the liturgy of our day say? That's a good point. What does it say? What are we teaching? Because we teach through our habits and our patterns and the liturgies of our lives. So what are we teaching our students through the liturgy of their day? Are we teaching them? And I'm afraid that too many of us know the answer already. What are we teaching them about the importance of their bodies? That's I love that you use the word liturgy um, because the book of nature teaches us. Um, birds, speaking of, uh, when they get up in the morning, the first thing they do is they spend a good 15 to 30 minutes singing. <clears throat> and I, I submit that I think they're singing to their creator. 
and they do the same thing about 15, 30 minutes before sundown. But between from that from the early song until the evening song, uh, the whole day is spent foraging and just and having an adventure. And what I'm about to say, I guess I should caveat this by saying it really only applies. You're supposed to do it after I hear. Quit with all the caveats. (laughs) Just say stuff. It's only going to apply, I guess, to homeschoolers. And I know we have a lot of classical school families that listen. They're part of the Searcy family. So my apologies if these don't seem applicable. But our philosophy at our home is that the school day begins when you get up and it ends when you go to bed. Hmm. So that there is absolute maximum flexibility and there are there are points during the day where we huddle together to talk about what we're learning or focus on a particular lesson then break up and go do other things now during tur- my, my son ethan is not a team sports player he tried it and hated it <laughs> but he is an outdoorsman and turkey season uh, when that was happening uh, prime time to hunt turkeys is between about nine o'clock in the morning and two o'clock in the afternoon so when it's time to go to the field to hunt turkeys yeah you could carry shakespeare with you out there and, and read while you're waiting for a turkey but my point is the flexibility to engage in those physical activities and apply the kind of wisdom and knowledge and virtue and ethics that's required of a hunter, that's part of education too. And we can come back to the books after we get out of the field and get the ticks off of mm-hmm. us. Well, the, the pattern of life used to be so much closer to what you're describing there that the idea of being sedentary and just sitting and reading in a in a kind of classroom environment is really foreign to i mean physical activity was just a, a matter of course um you know it was part of every day um there's a, a a teacher friend of ours here in the the concord community that um in a school that i i, I taught with him in this school for eight years um and um and David was a, a colleague of ours too. Um, he he started. Um, I was just going to actually mention this, right? Yeah, he started a um, a botany class, and and the only way to get something like that approved is to call it a class and come right. up with a fancy name for right. it. Yeah, you have to call it a class. Um, but basically, what they did is they built square foot gardens mm-hmm. and they built a greenhouse. And they planted a bunch of different stuff, and they experimented with all kinds of different um, patterns and, and um, uh, different uh, plants and, and vegetables to grow, uh, and did them in different ways. Built a butterfly garden. Yeah, yeah, the butterfly garden they, was uh, last year. and They planted grapevines around a portico. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, but, in other words, they had this class of students that were outside it was the last class period of the day so they spent all that afternoon outside you know spent that last period outside and the amazing things that happened there i mean i i'll I'll never forget it i'm just you would see students out there when teachers were done working in the afternoon and leaving sometimes there would still yeah there were still students out there working right 
Um, and some of them, honestly, you know, some of the older ones that drove lost track of time because they were enjoying themselves so much. Some of them would specifically ask their parents to pick them up late because they were, they were enjoying it so much. And there were some students that their, their attitudes completely changed. Their responsiveness in, in other classes completely changed. Um, because I, because the way that we, that we require students to act in the average school day is beneath their humanness. It's inhuman. Right. And, and so when you give them an outlet for it, they respond to it. They love it. But when you keep them um, cooped up as if they're really just a, 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 a walking cranial cavity, um, then... Um, well said. We're, we're training them to sit in business meetings for the rest of the We're training them to yeah. be bureaucrats. Exactly. And the thing that strikes me about... Actually, this is fascinating. The thing that strikes me about what I remember the kids would talk to me about when they would be coming or going from those classes is over the course of the year, they were able to see the progress. Mm-hmm. They were able to see the fruits of their labor. And I think that's one of the reasons why sports are so meaningful. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I liked about playing team sports is that I would, from July to November or late October, you spent these hours and hours with a group of other guys, you worked hard together, you put in this labor, and then there was some, there was some fruit to your labor. And even if you lost the game, there were smaller scale fruits. But then, right. of course, winning... Is a is a larger skill, fruit, which I which is one of the reasons why I think that the the having the goal of winning of victory and doing everything you can within the rule within the rules and within that's ethical to achieve that is really valuable for kids mm-hmm. to learn because it teaches them that as they work hard mm-hmm. that that there is fruit to their labor in the same way that when you plant something in the spring within you know there's bit by bit you know you see the sprouts. And then, you know, right now I've got sugar snap peas that are on there. They're too, they're too thin right now to pull. But every day, it's, every day they're, those plants are a little bit taller right. and there's a little bit more fruit on them. And that means something to a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old in a way that, that <clears throat> you, they can't see if they're – 90% of kids can't see that in sitting in a classroom. Right. And bureaucrats rarely see it. Yeah. And I, as Chuck I, knows. I would, yeah. I would just interject, going back to something I said earlier in this podcast, part of the ethics of pursuing winning, I think, is letting your team be your local team. You know, being the people you're in community with. Mm. And mm. because I think recruiting models too much the professional – Sports complex that I don't I, I don't think that teaches quite the lessons that we're we're aiming at. Hmm. Um. Well, we're going on fifty minutes now. Any final thoughts before we head out? Anything? Anyone want to say anything controversial? That was good to end with a good controversial comment. I would say that if you are uh, if you're encouraging controversial comments. <laughs> I'd say that if if you're not including the physical training of of some kind, if you're not including the physical training of your student, whether it's whether it's through team sports, it might be, it might not be, or through uh, getting outdoors with gardening or yard work or hunting or fishing or hiking or uh, or even if it's an individual sport, if if you're not 
taking the physical training of your student or your child into consideration, then you're not fully educating them. Don't ever say we unless you actually went to the school. (laughs) (laughs) What you just said, Brian, is golden. That's I think that's really the essence of what we've been talking about. My last thing is just that as you're saying that, I was struck by the idea of some kids, like your son, Chuck, team sports might not be something that's just right. right. That they, don't might, they might not get joy out of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as parents and teachers, we need to be aware enough of who our kids are to be able to have, to, for them to be able to have options. You know, it doesn't just have to be team sports. And so often mm-hmm. when we talk about, especially in schools, homeschoolers can work around this, but in schools the only option is you play team sports, maybe you run track or you play golf. Yeah. But other than that, that is your physical activity. Maybe you do theater, which is moderately physical. Yeah. But, you know. Depending if, on your role in the play. Right, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, you know, if schools had more things like the ability to garden and to, mm-hmm. you know, too bad we can't hunt in schools, right? Um, or, or to build. To I build, mean, yeah. Yeah. And shop, shop classes or wood shop classes are not beneath classical school students amen yeah i mean so that's a whole other well anyway yeah and we are about to get the mail truck uh basically shutting us down here they're about to blast let's listen for it let's listen for it ah there it is (laughs) and with that we will we will we will sign off reminding you to quit being so gnostic um (laughs) thank you for joining us on quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at cisterns of learning dug long ago drawing from springs too deep for taint I hope you enjoyed revisiting this conversation as much as I did. Join us next week for another conversation, and be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network.